Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. We're rolling full steam ahead into turkey season, and we're just uh, sitting here in person with Mr. Billy Yargis, Woodhaven Custom Calls. How you doing, man? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, uh, Mr. Ginger Bow Hunter, as always. Yeah, Ginger Bow Hunter. I won't be bow hunting turkeys, though, so yeah, I don't no. know. I already miss enough. We'll, we'll come up with another name. The ginger something. <laughs> <laughs> the ginger turkey misser. If it's yeah. anything like last year. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So but, let's uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, Billy, why don't you give us a little introduction on, on yourself and uh, maybe a little bit of your background in turkey hunting. I'm with Woodhaven Custom Calls right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife and I, we build 
uh, a lot of calls. We built 54,000 mouth calls for Woodhaven uh, just this year, oh you know, through the, through the winter, trying to get ready for spring. Uh, it's pretty hectic at that time of year, but uh, it's also very rewarding, especially when you come to the NWTF convention and you're able to uh, push those calls for people. They can hear them. You can run them for people. They can hear them and try to get the best call in their hands that we can. And that's what we're trying to do. We always try to put the, the best quality out there we can. The way we're set up, uh, what got me into turkey calling to begin with mm -hmm. was I, I got in there to try to get better turkey calls because I go to the store and I'd buy one. And I, and I really like that call. The next year I go buy another one, the same thing, same company. Mm -hmm. And it didn't run the same. It wasn't the same call. So that's what I try to focus on now that I, and I never had any plans on building calls. I just wanted better calls to go turkey hunting with. <laughs> but, but yeah, it turned into something that uh, I've been very blessed. Uh, God has really blessed me uh, tremendously in this industry to where we can actually put call out there that when you buy one of my calls and you come back next year, uh, you can get the exact same call. And that's one of the reasons why I'm with Woodhaven, their quality is bar none to anybody else's. And that's what, uh, that's what we focus on mm -hmm. is trying to put the best thing out there for people to use the best tool to kill turkeys. So absolutely. Awesome. Um, with your, you, when we were talking before, um, when did you start turkey hunting? Um, uh, 1980s or so. Now, 78 is when I very first started actually hunting. I, I squirrel hunted with a man named Russell Robertson, and uh, from there, he just went on. Matter of fact, he asked me, he said, uh, are you going turkey hunting with me? And I'm like, turkey hunting? I didn't know we had turkeys in our area, you know. I, I had never seen one in our area, and I just kind of looked at it, because he was a jokester, and he had his little can, and he, uh, Sir Crick can, and he had where he had his turkey calls at, mouth calls. Mm -hmm. And he said, come here, I want to show you something. I'm like, oh, here we go. And... Uh, he popped that thing open and he pulled that out and I was just waiting for the punchline and he put that in and he started yelping and I've just kind of given him this weird look and I'm like I said well, you're just messing with me he said no I'm not he said We're, I'm going turkey hunting do you want to go or not and I'm like sure I'll go turkey hunting and it all it started from there I went to the store and bought a perfection call a single read and started trying to learn how to yelp on it and mm -hmm. I didn't kill one uh, the first couple three years that I went I guess two years that I went I did call birds in, but everybody had me scared to death. They said, don't move. Whatever you do, you can't move. Don't turn your head. Don't do this. Don't do that. Uh, because the very first year, I had a turkey coming into me, and I heard him coming. And I thought I'd better stand up so I could get a better shot. But uh, even though he was about 80 yards, he, he spotted me, and, and that, was in, that was the end of that hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Learning those lessons the hard yeah, way. You, you can't move. I understand that. But So the next year, I just freeze up. I call birds I call birds in, and I just froze up. You know, I was just scared to death to move after that ordeal. So yeah. uh, it's something you got to learn, and you learn every year, no matter what. You're learning every year that you're out there in the timber. You never quit learning, mm -hmm. whether it's about calling or whether it's about woodsmanship or, or different tricks that will work on a turkey because that's all we're trying to do is deceive that bird mm -hmm. well a, a question i've got when you first got started uh you know in the late 70s going into early 80s what was the turkey population like where you were hunting and was it common to find a lot of guys turkey hunting was that something common or was it kind of at a point still where the birds weren't in a, in a a larger number where you were seeing like everybody wants to go turkey hunting. Like now, nowadays, like publicly and privately, and like it's packed with guys trying to go out there turkey hunting. Uh, what was your experience when you first got started uh, kind of turkey hunting with that? When I first started back in Missouri, uh, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, mm -hmm. we had pockets uh, where they had started, you know, 
when they started uh, releasing birds in those areas, the birds were growing and, and huge because we didn't have that many coons. We had some coyotes, but we didn't have a whole lot of, of small predators like for the eggs and stuff, trying mm-hmm. to get the eggs. So and we had pockets, and they were spreading out, and they were spreading out pretty fast. But one of my main places to hunt was the Mark Twain Lake, and that was before the lake was actually filled up with water. And but the gov- the Corps of Engineers had bought all this ground, and I mean it was just it was loaded. You you go up there, you stand in one spot and hear 30, 35 birds <laughs> gobbling in all different directions. I mean, it was a it was a dream come true. I I love places like that now. When I get into that, it's it's, it's crazy. But yeah, that's where I started hunting. That's where I killed my very first bird. Uh, and yeah, you have to be careful. You have to really watch what you're doing. Growing up, I I got shot at a couple times. You know, I mean from a distance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got to get down and holler at that guy, <laughs> let him know, but dude, I ain't no turkey, man. <laughs> but yeah, you, you got to be careful whenever you're out there on public ground. Uh, and, and the other part of it is you have to make sure of what your target is yeah. and try to make sure of your surroundings so that, uh, you're not the guy that's shooting towards another guy because it does happen when you've got that many people out there. I try to pick areas when I go to a parking, uh, parking lot on one of those places, if there's if there's cars there, I don't stop there. I go on. I try to be respectful, and that's one of the things that I've learned up there was a lot of people aren't respectful, and that's how I think a lot of people get hurt is because when they pull up the parking lot, I've went up there and there's five or six vehicles in one parking spot, you know, and you're like, I'm not going in there. There's yeah. no way. I'm going somewhere else, and I'll and I'll move. And and there's a lot of times I'll go back a lot further and think you're getting away from everybody. Mm-hmm. There's other guys got that same idea, and yeah. they're going all the way back in there oh, and yeah. trying to get away from everybody. So mm-hmm. you always have to be careful and watch for your target because it would be easy, easy to mistake a person for a turkey if all the circumstances are right and you let your brain get, get you into that zone. Uh, I did have an experience. It's been several years ago during the fall. I slipped down. And I was on private ground this time, and I slipped down along this creek called Sugar Creek. Uh, it was a friend of mine on the – owned a place Mm -hmm. on this farm and as i went down there i thought there's a little clearing down there. i'm gonna go down there and get set up as i'm walking down i'm sneaking in there and all of a sudden in in the fork of this tree i seen what looked like a uh, back end of a gobbler it it was really dark black you know so i get in there and i get set down because i see this i just kneel down i'm just sitting there waiting so i get ready and i and it looked like he's facing to my right so i got my gun up on the right side of the tree and I'm just waiting on him to step out. I thought, there ain't even no reason to call him. I'm just going to sit here and just wait on him to step out. And I can harvest that turkey. And little did I know that uh, there was a man sitting there in that tree. He had a black coat on. He had a, a blue hat on. And a oh. white and red emblem on the front of it. I've got my gun sitting over to the right of it. Oh. I mean, I'm still on safety. But mm-hmm. when he turned his head and it come around, I mean, you talk about make your heart drop you know it's like what if a guy just thought you know what i could kill that bird i could shoot him in the body and i can kill him at 25 yards mm-hmm. and what a shot right there you'd have been shooting somebody so you got to make yeah. sure you're targeting you got to take your time and don't don't get so excited and so wrapped up in it that you're you know that you make that kind of a mistake mm-hmm. luckily that didn't happen i mean i found out who the guy was he actually had permission to but i didn't know he was there that day so I actually had a, I had a situation uh, very similar, actually to me a little more scary than that happened on some public land. Uh, one of the first years I ever started hunting public land for uh, in Alabama, um, it was me, and my brother, and I was still very, very new at uh, turkey hunting. I think it was only my second. I think it was might have been my first season solo I've ever been turkey hunting, and uh, got into a place and scouted. 
a couple like real, I mean, tiny, tiny, tiny little green fields on public land that had tons of, you know, droppings in it, scratchings. You could tell there was birds in the area. Uh, and we got sat up on the side of it and actually blew a hen off the top, off a roost, like right there, right after, um, um, sun up. And, uh, anyways, kept hearing, I, I'd call and then I'd hear a hen call, like where she had just flown to. So I thought I'd bust her off the roost and she was working back towards me. So this goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I'm a newer hunter. I'm like, okay, I'm calling this hen back. It's slowly getting closer to me. Well, we ease up. We get up, and this little field is literally just a little power line. That's all it is. So, you know, it's 30 yards wide at the most, um, if even that. So we go up a little bit farther up the field where it bottlenecks down a little bit more on, like, this little road. Um, uh, it's like the little washed-out roadway, and we sat on the side of it. And uh, – Anyways, uh, kept calling, kept calling, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I got like a bad feeling. I just had, I really did. I had like a bad feeling about the whole situation, and I'm sitting there looking, and we're like on one side. It's like this, it's the road that kind of goes down the power line. It's not like a road you actually drive on, but it's like when they bring the tractors through the plow the field up. I've got my back up. I've got my legs kind of like on the side of the road, and I'm looking, and it's only eight yards to like the the cover right there and I can see up into it and stuff and all of a sudden I see something move and all I saw was a black boot go up and over a log <laughs> and, and at that time it's like 25 yards from me if yeah. that I mean it's close <laughs> and I'm like oh god and like my brother's like filming on his camera I'm like don't I told him like don't move just don't don't move <laughs> and all I did was I, I, I whistled I was like hey and I just said hey a couple times and the guy stopped he whistled and said, hey, he stood up, and I mean, he might have been 20 yards from me, and he was belly crawling towards me. Dude, just slithering <laughs> through the woods. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I've had that happen, and it scared the crap out of me. And, after, I mean, I talked to the guy for like an hour after the fact. We just sat there talking, and uh, he was a newer turkey hunter as well, and it was just like kind of put two new turkey hunters together, and he was just trying to crawl up on a hen. I don't know why he thought – he's like he, – he, his whole thing was he heard me, I mean, I'm not a great turkey caller by no means <laughs> at all. <laughs> so it's it was a it was a bad sound and he said, well, I thought there was a gobbler maybe up there with her or something. And uh he had seen some of that sign too the day before, like up in this little field and anyways, thankfully nothing happened, but that was definitely pretty scary. But I mean that can happen on privately and there's videos of guys going out there. I'm kinda getting sidetracked on this. Um, you know, getting shot in private land while they're working a bird and someone's behind them, they shoot past them. Trying to hit a bird that they don't know there's a guy sitting in front of him. Like yeah, there was one of the guys sitting with the side of the yeah, pattern. Yeah, catch him inside the pattern. Oof. Get him in the arm or something. Uh, but that's a real thing. That is. That, oh yeah, it can happen, and it can happen to anybody. Yeah. I think. I think is the main thing is to stay focused, but don't get so focused that you imagine that a person is actually a turkey because in the in the right shadows or just the right movement. I mean, mm-hmm. we're supposed to be shooting a turkey in the head and neck, and you're supposed to see a beard. So, yeah. if it's a person, you ain't seen the beard, and you definitely didn't see his head and neck. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I yeah, I, the, the day that that happened to me, I mean, I thank God all the way back to the truck that uh, that I I didn't do something stupid and just decide to try a chancy shot, you know. I yeah. waited and, and made sure of my target. So, but uh, as you said, and a lot of times it's not uh, on public ground. It's on private ground. And a lot of times it's family members or buddies that happened in Kansas last year where a guy – uh, shot his brother and, and his best buddy. I heard about that. And oh, wow. Yeah, they was actually doing a scoot-and-shoot type thing, you know, and uh, thought they was going right in on a turkey, and it ended up, ended up being the guy's brother, and the brother ended up shooting him. So they both mistaked. Oh, they both man. made mistakes, and, yeah, it cost them. So, 
Yeah. Good. Well, one thing I just want to say, like the whole like reaping and the reaping scene and like skit and shoot. I'm like that probably wasn't a bad idea if if it's something that someone wants to do back when everyone was shooting lead and like you were truly like trying to shoot inside 40 yards like in open fields. But now with guys, you know that they feel like they're even more confident, especially newer guys like you know overconfident in a, in a system where they're they're shooting TSS or something else or heavy shot, and they're like, oh, I think I can reach out there and touch them, and you're not getting close enough where you can oh, yeah. truly see that that is not a turkey. It's it's a fan decoy coming in on you, and especially a guy that's a, a newer guy all fired up or something. I can totally see how someone can mistake that. Uh, well, especially in the brush. I'd say if you're going to do that, don't do it in the brush. But yeah. get maybe out in a field, in a wide open field, but not in the timber or in the brush. That yeah. would be a big mistake, I think. I agree. Well, uh, Billy, let's talk about kind of like your upbringing. You were talking about how, you know, calling was something that you kind of got interested in early on. At what point did it really click with you that, the, you know, there was multiple different sounds that turkeys were making for communication and you started actually understanding that and using it to your advantage because i think a lot of new guys coming out they're like oh they, they yelp yelp and cut that's i think what most guys think about but there's so many other sounds when did that kind of click for you where you could use the different sounds and tones to your advantage out there turkey hunting yeah for me you know when russell started teaching me how to turkey call uh we actually would go out up to mark twain lake and we'd actually call birds in i mean before season i mean dude we we go out there and we'd start in in march and we we'd be just playing with birds and and that's how i learned so much doing that uh one of the things that i'd always heard everything you read back then was uh you yelp three times and put the call down for 15 minutes and and even even russell would tell me that and the reason he was telling me that was because i wasn't the best caller for one thing Mm -hmm. you know i didn't have the best yelp so uh, I, I was trying that tactic, but every time I went out with Russell and we was calling him birds, uh, I got to watch him my, my watch, and it was, you know, four or five minutes, and he was calling. Four or five more minutes go by, and he'd call again, and I'm like, he ain't doing what he tells me to do. And uh, I just got to where I started calling a little bit more, and probably, and I still do, probably call more than the average guy. A lot of guys think, well, you're calling too much, and sometimes you're calling too loud. Mm-hmm. The big thing, it, it started clicking with me because years ago I thought when I went out I could always tell somebody on a mouth call. And and actually later on in years I found out that, uh, like the gobblers, I mean, you didn't realize the, the sounds that the gobblers were making uh, compared to the hens. Like in the fall I was turkey hunting and I had a bird come in and I didn't even know it was a bird. He, just over the hill he started yelping, I'm like, man, this is public ground, and there's somebody over there yelping on a darn <laughs> mouth call. And, and I actually got up and walked away. And later on in years, I'm pretty positive because I didn't see the bird and I didn't mm-hmm. see the hunter. But I'm pretty positive that was probably a young gobbler that had come up there and, and was yelping. And it sounded like some beginner on a, on a turkey call <laughs> yeah. is what I think happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got up and walked away. So through the years, you learn. You learn more and more. And that's how I learned what going out with Russell, and he was teaching me. And uh, what really got me to want to – sound as much like a turkey as I could. I was at a contest back in the 80s in, in Hannibal at the Admiral Coons Armory, and I was sitting there, and Russell was there with me. He was doing something else, but I went over and sat down and just taking it easy, and the guy sat down in front of me, and he starts yelping, and this guy sounded like a turkey, and I mean, I'm like, oh, my gosh, and it really made me realize you can sound like a turkey on a mouth call, and uh, to me, I was just totally amazed. And Russell come over and sat down beside him. And this guy was gone by then. And he said, what do you, what do you think, boy? Because he always called me boy. And I said, uh, I don't know. I said, but there was a guy up here, and that dude sounded like a turkey. I said, I ain't never heard anybody yelp and sound that much like a turkey. And he said, well, who was it? And I said, I don't know who it was. 
And he said, well, point him out. So I'm looking around. Finally, I seen him. I pointed him out. And he said, boy, that's Walter Parrott. He said, he's a grand national champion. I'm like, <laughs> really? I said, uh, I didn't know who he was. But that po- from that point on, I knew. And I always kept my eye on Walter. If I see anything, read anything, or see any videos, mm-hmm. I was always interested in listening to him because I knew he could make the actual sounds that a turkey was making. And I, from that point on, I, I mean, I strived to try to get the best yelps that I could, mm-hmm. which led me into different things. I wanted to get better turkey calls. Uh, I just, and everybody kept telling me. I started buying different calls, and I got hooked on the cutter calls, and, and I could make the, uh, the realistic yelps and the cuts, uh, even the softer calls. I had trouble purring on it and stuff, but then I'd just pull out a slate call, and I'd purr on it if I wanted to purr and cluck. I mean, I did different things to to do that but I was very successful a lot of guys I took a lot of buddies out we killed a lot of turkeys and they kept telling me you need to go to contest I'm like I don't need no contest and one day I decided I thought I'm gonna go to a contest I want to get better turkey calls because every time I'd go buy one and I'd get the one I like uh, I'd go back the next year and buy one and it wouldn't sound the same and I used HS Strut, I used Pinwood, I used uh, Perfection, I used Paul Butsky's yeah. uh, Cutter Call, I used some of Ray Eyes and, and uh, different ones. But every year it seemed like I went back. And whether it was a material changing or maybe yeah. just somebody didn't stretch it quite right or whatever, but it just wouldn't sound the same the next year. So that's what led me into getting into turkey calling. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I got into there, then I, I really started. Anytime you compete, you get better at something. So it started allowing me to. I had to. I had to struggle. I had to figure out how to kiki on a, on a mouth on the same mouth call that I was yelping on. I had to learn how to purr and cluck on it and do all these different sounds because I wanted to compete. But it also helped me when I went to the turkey woods because once you make all them sounds, it uh, it definitely improves, improves you and it and it improves your hunting. Mm-hmm. You know because there's woodsmanship is is a huge thing in the turkey woods. I mean, no doubt about it. You've mm-hmm. got to have that. But I can tell you, it will increase your uh, success rate. If you, the better the caller you are, uh, it's going to increase your success rate. So my, my question would be for you. Um, I feel like a lot of people like myself that can run a call, but it's not great. Like I've called in birds, but it's like there's different situations. Like Kind of like we were talking with Scott, you know, having a bag of trips where you have multiple things you can lean on and there's not just one thing that you can do. Like you can't like not just yelp or just cut that you can do, you know, kiki runs, you could do purring, you could do clucks and everything else to kind of make it seem more realistic or even like gobbler yelps uh, or Jake yelps um, to make it seem so much more realistic where if you have a bird hang up or something, you have different things you can use to your advantage. Now, one question I've got for you is, is the patience factor. Again, a lot of people like myself included, I think have issues when the turkey hunting and you got bird fired up is to have patience. If he shuts up to stay still sit and, and sit there and wait for you, it, it, are you a more of a patient hunter or are you more of a like, kind of running gun guy and you're trying to find like a hot bird? Like what is your style of hunting when it comes to turkeys? Well, I'm kind of in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love to run and gun. And if the turkeys are, are gobbling, I mean, they're really, uh, really vocal. Then I love to run and gun. There's nothing any funner than, then in yelping and cutting, do some excited yeah. hen yelping and cutting and get one to fire up, go hurry up and get set down and, and call him in and kill him. But there's times when you do that, uh, you can actually mess up your area because of the fact that they're, uh, that day the birds are not talking. So you're walking around maybe with a box call or, or with a mouth call and you're yelping and cutting, trying to get a bird to gobble. And then you walk around a corner on this old road and this bird's actually coming to you, but he ain't gobbling. He ain't saying anything. 
So if that happens to me, then I, then I refer back to blind calling. And uh, that's where your scouting plays in a big part. Going out and scouting, finding out where your birds are roosting, where they're, where they're uh, feeding, where they're hanging out with their strut zones in the middle of the day. Uh, you got to go out and look for signs. Look for them scratchings because if there's hens in the area where they've been scratching and feeding a lot, uh, that's where the gobblers are going to be at. So find out where they're getting their water, where they're getting their feed, all these different things is, is, is huge when it comes to turkey hunting. I'll go in, and, and a lot of times it's from one year to the next. The same areas may not be the same bird. You may kill that bird there the year before. Yeah. I don't, can't tell you how many different places I've got a certain tree that I'll slip in and I'll get set down up against that tree and killed, you know, over the years, I've killed six or eight different gobblers off of that particular tree because that's a perfect setup uh, for the turkeys. They love to hang out in that area. And from one year to the next, if that gobbler is gone, another one, a new one will move into that area and he'll be there the next year. So many, di so many times you have that. Uh, but yeah, you want to get in there. And one of the things I like to do is just soft yelp, just plain yelp. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I and I and I'll stress that to people that don't have a lot of confidence in their calling, or they don't feel like they're sounding exactly like a turkey. Uh, the softer, the better. Anytime you can get that turkey to come looking for you, you're way better off. Once he gets up there and he knows, if you're calling too loud and he looks over and he knows he should see that hen. I mean, you're calling loud enough and he's looking and he's like, she should be right there. She's not there. I mean, he get a little buggery, and next thing you know, he's turning around and he's walking off. So soften it up. Uh, if he's coming, I would say, shut up. There's no reason to do any calling. You know, if, as long as he keeps coming your way, I mean, if he stops, like you said, and hangs up, there's so many different things you can do from purring and clucking, scratching in the leaves, so many different things you can do to try to lure him in. I use all those tactics. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get a bird just over a ridge, and I'm like, come on, dude, you got to come up over that hill. And I'll start scratching in the leaves, maybe cluck and purr just a little bit, mm -hmm. and next thing you know, he's poking that head up over there and allowing you to get that shot. Awesome. Well, Andrew, do you have anything on, on scouting? Because I think that's kind of something we need to dive into. Yeah, so you mentioned, uh, like, of course, you're looking for scratching and tracks <coughs> and stuff like that. But you also mentioned strut zones, um, which I think is probably, like, an important part of turkey hunting because that's where they're typically going to gravitate to. Am I right? Kind of in the mornings? Yeah, exactly. If you If you know where a turkey strut zone is, Mm -hmm. uh, if you can get there before him, there's a lot of times if I've got an area pinned down really good and I know where the strut zone is, I know where they're roosting at, and especially if there's a pretty good uh, distance between there, mm -hmm. it really helps you can get in and you hit him off the roost. Uh, everybody likes to, I mean, I, and I'm the same way, I like to get in there where the birds are roosting at. I like to get in there and sit down and soft call to him and try to get him to come to me right there. Mm -hmm. If those hens lead him away, I'm going to try and get up and back out of there. If that terrain allows me to, I'm going to try and get up and back out of there. I want to try and go where he wants to go to begin with. I want to try and circle around, get in that strut zone, and get set up. And there's times uh, you'll try to get there, and you can't get there before he does. Sometimes those birds, they just, I mean, once they fly down, boom. I mean, it's almost like they ran to get there. They're trying to get there a bit faster than you are. But if you can slip around and get in on his strut zone before he gets there, it's always easier to call a turkey where he wants to go than trying to call him back a lot of guys i've and i've done it before too is just keep following the bird and just keep pestering him and yelping at him and whether they lose their hands and then they finally come back to you or you just uh just keep after him hard enough that finally he he's got to come back and take a look sometimes that works. there's so many different things and 
you'll hear in so many different seminars or talk to other hunters that mm -hmm. this works for me okay so and it does but it's never 100 percent of the time i mean sometimes it works sometimes it don't if it don't try something else if you got in a strut zone uh, and and you can't get him to come into that maybe the because this is what you'll run into the hens a lot of times once you get uh, and the reason they left you to begin with is the hens have led him away they don't want another hen in there you know they don't i mean there's a pecking order thing in there and if that group of hens has got this gobbler to themselves they'll take him and they'll lead him away all day long i did it in tennessee when i was hunting with uh, jason cruz one time we got in and got set up and we had uh I can't remember, it was three or four gobblers and uh, probably eight or nine hens in this field. When we could see them, we got set up, started calling. They were already working our way. But I, I got a call to one. I can't just sit there and just shoot him. I mean, <laughs> that gives the way I am. I, I've got to shoot. I've got to call to him. So they're coming our way. They're working our way. And I start yelping at them. And next thing I know, that lead hen, she just turns around and starts walking across the field. I'm like, dang. I said, well, look. I said, I don't know. You want to get up and go around that, that field? And it's a pretty good-sized field. And Jason said, yeah. We backed out, went all the way around, and got back in front of them, got set up. Yeah, I had to call to her again. <laughs> so I called her again. And as soon as I did, I mean, they're all perking their heads up and they're looking. The gobblers are gobbling at us. I mean, they're interested, but they're still just following these hands. She turns around and she she takes a right and starts going on down through the middle of the field. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> we get up and we went all the way back around where we originally started from, went past that and tried to get up in front of them. And, and that field narrowed down on up. So we got up there and we got set up. And uh, I start calling to them again. And sure enough, she stops. And she turns around and starts to go back. And I'm, and I, I'm getting aggravated now. I'm starting to yelp and cut. And I'm starting to get a little aggressive with her and try to get, because she wouldn't yelp at me. I was trying to get her aggravated and try to get her to want to come over there and, like, quit pestering me or whatever. Mm. Lo and behold, then one gobbled off to our right. And that was another bird. He had uh, five or six hens with him. And uh, so we just forgot about the big bunch that we've been chasing around. These other birds, they come in there. Now I'll tell a story on Jason. I got him up there, but Jason missed him. <laughs> <laughs> and that happens too. You know, you get all excited. And, oh, yeah. No, I've, I can't tell how many birds I've missed. So. <laughs> <laughs> Jacob can relate. I can relate. Yeah. yeah I missed two, I, or it might have been last year or the year before. I missed one on opening day, and it was just like, oh, man. Oh, the, that's the, tough. the body shot or whatever? Yeah, well, yeah, I knocked some feathers off of him. That's about it. Yeah. And it was just like a slam dunk. He pitched down off the roost, and he was like, 35 yards and i was like you're dead and i missed him <laughs> didn't yeah. put my cheek down yeah your heart just dropped right down in your stomach i mean there uh especially yeah. especially if you work because i there was i remember years ago i had worked this bird for probably an hour and a half and couldn't get him to move he stayed in one spot the whole time and i thought i'm not messing with you there was plenty of birds back in and i took off and i hunted and i, I didn't do any good mm -hmm. and i come back pretty close to that area and i yelped and cut real loud and boom, that same bird gobbles on that same rig, and I'm like, I'm in a pretty good spot here. I'm gonna go around. So I and I, and this is another tactic that works for me is if I'm sitting in one spot calling, and I can't get that bird to come to me, sometimes I'll just shut up, back out, and go all the way around him, make a big circle, and come in on the other side of him. Mm -hmm. To me, I think that uh, a gobbler believes that that hen has finally come to him and somehow missed him, and they, she's walked by, past him. And uh, a lot of times they'll come right in, and that's what happened that day. I went all the way around uh, on the other side of the gobbler mm -hmm. after I'd worked him an hour and a half from one way. And I still had to work him for probably an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, even after I made that circle. I sat back down there and started calling to him. 
and I get everything was real soft just trying to coax him in you know finally I get him up in there and and uh, sure enough after all after all that that I did then just like you said I shot and missed I just I couldn't believe it I was uh, it was so aggravating and so uh I don't know so disappointing I guess (laughs) yeah man I was like I was sick to my stomach but like I've missed some deer before and it's upsetting but when I missed like a nice gobbler like long beard gobbler on opening day on public land I was like oh (laughs) it stung um but going back to like strut zones and stuff what uh, what makes like a good strut zone, like a place that an, a turkey is going to want to hang out? I think the strut zone, it just depends on where the hens like to hang out, where they like to feed at, maybe where they like to dust at. I found strut zones along the edges of fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll find dust bowls mm-hmm. and in the strut zones. A lot of times you'll find those dust bowls. If you see along the edge of a field where the hens have got in there and really scratched up that dirt and got a good dust bowl going there and you'll find little feathers in there and stuff, mm-hmm. I'll see them. I mean, there might be six or eight of them along the edge of that field. That's usually a strut zone. Uh, another thing I found is in, back home, like in your CRP ground, a lot of times the hens like to go into that CRP and and uh, and lay the eggs in there. You know, they'll go in there to set up a nest. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me like the gobblers will follow those hens. And then next thing you know, they go off into the CRP for their nesting. And that gobbler will be hanging out right there at the edge of that CRP, yeah. and, which creates a strut zone. Uh, a lot of times up on the top of a big ridge where he can be heard from a long, long ways off. And I believe that's, uh, I think it's just a nature thing, you know, that they want to be heard, you know, whether they're setting up in a tree or get up on the top of a ridge on an old logging road or something like that. Because mm-hmm. that's the whole thing. We're trying to turn nature around. We're trying to call that gobbler to us when realistically that gobbler calls the hen to him you know when he st- sets up on top of a place where he can hear f- or f- where people can hear him f- or turkeys can hear him from a long ways <laughs> off people can hear him too but anyway he'll set up there and he'll gobble uh and he'll keep doing that trying to trying to draw those hens to him uh, if you can get <clears throat> say you hear one doing that and you can get within 100 yards of him slip up in there on that ridge where he's at within 100 yards of him and start calling to him real soft and a lot of times I mean, if he ain't got a hen with him he'll just break and come come running right straight to you mm-hmm so real quick can you just explain what a dust bowl is a dust bowl for anyone who might not know yeah dust bowl the turkeys like to get in there and they like to they like get that dirt on them Mm -hmm. for the parasites and stuff like that they like get in there and i actually seen a hen using a dust bowl one day Uh, i couldn't see the hen at first I didn't know what this thing. It looked like a little tornado out in the, out in the edge of this field. <laughs> I was walking up towards this creek, and I and I look, and all of a sudden, this little like a little dust bowl was coming up, and there wasn't much wind or anything. I'm like, what in the world is that? And I and I just sat there and watched for a little bit, and all of a sudden, I seen this turkey's head pop up, and it was a hen, and her head went back down, and this dust started just coming up like a little tornado again. So I, I mean, she was pretty busy, so I was I was able to sneak up to that creek and get a real good look at her and I watched her uh she did I don't know probably eight or ten times she'd get down and I mean she'd roll around and and she'd get to using her wings and her feet he'd just start put, uh, throwing that dirt clear up over top of her back and on her head and everything else and it looked like a small tornado she was throwing so much dirt up there and stuff but mm-hmm. that's what it's for and and all the turkeys are good even the gobblers are good a lot of times but uh during the breeding season the gobblers seem to be the one hanging out there strutting uh, it's like a lot of people don't realize that I was out uh, several years ago and I was doing what me and Russell do. We go out and call birds in and just watch them. And that's uh, how I, I think I, how I 
learned to figure out the turkey nature a little bit better was mm-hmm. I went out and I'm, I'm watching, I called in three gobblers and probably 15, 20 hens. And all of a sudden the hens just disappear. The way, way the ground was set up or just a small riser in that, in that timber. And I couldn't, I could see all the birds. Then all of a sudden all the hens disappear. And I'm like, I mean, the gobblers are still there, all three strutting. And I'm like, what in the world? Where are them hens going? And I couldn't figure it out. I sat there for probably 30 minutes and never seen anything but the three gobblers. And then all of a sudden, all these hens popped back up. They'd all laid down, I guess, and was just kind of taking a little nap right out there, mm-hmm. in the, right out there in the timber while the gobblers were still strutting. They just kind of laid down and took a nap right there when uh, – Right in the middle of the timber. So, <laughs> a lot of times when you don't see a turkey and then when you're walking and all of a sudden they pop up, I mean, kind of like a deer, I think they do take a little nap every once in a while. And yeah. Then they're hid when they're, when they're laying down. You don't expect to see that, you know. Well, yeah. I've got some questions on scouting a little bit more because I think a lot of guys are interested in that, myself included. When you're scouting for a bird, whether you're hunting, you know, say a new piece of public or some public ground maybe you had some, um, you know, you've had a little history with or a piece of private, whether someone who's gotten a new lease, a club, or just some family property – what are like the what are you looking for the very first thing when you get on property are you looking at a map at all um to kind of get an idea of the lay of the land what are you doing before you actually get boots on the ground or do you just get boots on the ground and start walking well nowadays yeah maps i mean back back in the day you know years ago we didn't have the maps to go really look at yeah. you can't get on your phone you know back in and look at all that stuff but so you just had to get boots on the ground uh one of the things that i do when i when i go in i want to i want to figure out where the creeks are uh, I want to figure out where the woven wire fences are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you want to find out where the clearings are, uh, where the thickets are, because, you know, whether it's spring or fall, a lot of times the hens, like, seem to want to stay, like, go into some of the thickets and stuff, and they'll hang out in there. Well, the, if the hens are going in there, the gobblers are going to be in there. But you want to find out all these different little obstacles because I can't tell you how many times that I've went into areas. When we go out of state and hunt, you, you don't have that time. You know, you're kind of scouting. That first day you're hunting, you're doing a lot of scouting while you are hunting. And you're learning uh, what's going on in that area and what is in that area. But I can't tell you how many times that I have went in and set up and call a bird in, and he struts back and forth and back and forth. And you're like, why will he not come? And finally, he just gets uninterested, and he, turn, he turns and walks away. Mm-hmm. You go down there, and there's a woven wire fence. But on that same token, I'd always say, don't worry about a barbed wire fence. But I've had birds hang up on a barbed wire fence, and all they have to do is duck her head and come underneath of it. Don't have any clue whether it may be a dominant thing where a, a dominant bird has uh, went up there and fought that bird, and he knows if he comes on that side of the fence or whatever that he's mm-hmm. – because there's times birds that fly across the river, but they won't cross the little bitty creek. In the same way at the fence uh, – one day they'll fly over top of a woven wire fence, and the next day you got a four-strand barbed wire, and they won't even come underneath of it. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just turkey hunting for you. But if you can find out those different areas, it's kind of like a deer where a deer run is. If you can get into that area when you first go in to set up, and, and you can do that while you're scouting, go in there and look around and, and make sure you set down because there's so many times that you won't be able to see a bird. If you're standing up, you're looking around, you're like, wow, this is beautiful. But if you set up against that tree, you go in there in the dark and you get set down against that tree, you think, yeah, I picked this tree out. But you didn't set down against that tree when you're scouting. Yep. You sit down there, and next thing you know, you're left. You can't see past 10 yards. You know, he's going to have to walk up on that hill. And what's going to happen is if he's quiet and he walks up on that hill, you're not going to get your gun up. Yep. I mean, he's going to turn around and disappear on you really fast. So those are the things I always look for when I go in and scout and try to find uh, good areas of where I want to set up at. Mm-hmm. 
have it in your mind and then be able to walk back into that area and get set up into those areas. Now, my question is, are you doing that once you already have an idea of where the, the flocks are normally at and where the birds are normally at? Or would you try to locate birds pre-season, not necessarily call them, but you're going out there trying to find the sign and then find areas close by that you can set up on? Can I kind of run us through that like how would you go about taking advantage of that well my scouting trips first thing i do is try to be there at daylight mm-hmm. uh, i go out there and if i'm doing it in february or something like that mm-hmm. then yeah i'm, I'm still want to go out there at daylight and i still want to try and listen and see if i hear anything and i'm and i'll run a call and try to get something to answer me even a hen to answer me and try to figure out kind of the area where they're roosting at and mm-hmm. go back there and start looking for sign uh look for all kinds of feathers if you're finding feathers it's usually a roosting area like if you go out in the middle of the afternoon, you're finding these little feathers or wing feathers, then you're probably getting into a into a roosting area. You can look for uh, turkey droppings. I mean, there's some places, and if you just find a few turkey droppings here and there, that's one thing. But if you actually find a pile of droppings, uh, a lot of times that's where that turkey is. I mean, they're there every every night. They're yeah. roosting on that same limb. If you start finding little piles, and I have found places where there was actually piles of manure underneath of a tree because those turkeys are there every single night. I mean, you've got to – that's definitely a good roosting spot right mm-hmm. there. There's some areas around home where birds are roost in one holler one night, the next night they're roosting in the other holler, and you won't know if you don't go out and roost them the night before yep. or you go out there and you hoot at them and get them to gobble that morning and then make sure you can get in there and get set up on them. So. Yeah. Well, see, I think that's something that – I've experienced that. I found a, a spot – I'm trying to think what state I was in when I was scouting, it might have been Ohio, I found a pine tree, a huge pine tree on the edge of a swamp. And it was, I mean, the, underneath that tree was just covered in just, in just uh, turkey droppings um, from where they had been roosting. And you could see how they had even worn off some of the branches. You could tell where the birds had been kind of get up, but the whole ground was just covered in, in turkey droppings, um, which is kind of cool. Now, you know, kind of on the scouting aspect, uh, you know, kind of going out and listening to them early season. My question is – do, what happens on the day when you go out there, okay? Say it's like right before season comes in or, or you know, very early on in the season, and for some reason the birds aren't talking that morning. Are you instantly going to be trying to go towards one of those strut zones? Or are you going to go towards an area where you think they're going to be feeding at? What is your tactic on days when they're just quiet and they don't want to gobble in the morning? On on hunting? Yeah. Actually, mm-hmm. on hunting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I go out there hunting, I mean, a lot of times the birds, you do have days they don't gobble. Yeah. And that's where I refer back to my, my blind calling and where your scouting pays off. You know the birds are usually in that area. Mm-hmm. So you go in and you just get set up. And I start off with some real soft plain yelps. And the, the yelp is your bread and butter on turkey hunting. If you can't do anything else, if you can soft yelp, I guarantee you can kill turkeys because that's the main vocabulary of a turkey. Mm-hmm. You know, all the other stuff, even purring and clucking, I mean, yeah, that's a feeding contented type call. And it does help. And all the all the different calls will help but if you can if you've got a good yelp uh i guarantee you can kill turkeys and not have to do anything else other than yelp okay awesome that's one thing i think a lot of guys will appreciate especially you know the wide range of listeners we have you know we have some guys that are very green to turkey hunting or maybe never even been before so the turkey calling aspect is very uh intimidating for a lot of them myself included um so i, I think that what you just said is going to be helpful for a lot of us, especially some of the newer guys that if we can kind of just start working and focusing more on the yelps and kind of managing that, getting that down and working on the soft yelps guys, a really good basis to start off of. And they kind of, you know, adding everything in, you know, as you get more comfortable with your calling. Uh, so I think that's huge. Andrew, what you have? 
Uh, before we got started, you talked about, you know, kind of like we were talking about like random scenarios and you're talking about cackling midday to get something going. Um, so like, like we're all familiar with like those days where, like you said, they're not gobbling and it's kind of midday and nothing's happening. And you said that one time someone told you to do like a fly down cackle in the middle of the day and it worked for you. Can you kind of redo that story a little bit? Yeah. Uh, what I've seen over the years and a lot of times you can get on now you can get on Facebook and find some of this stuff out. But what what whatever's working in the South and or how the birds are acting in the South, uh, of course our season doesn't open up till you know the middle of the later part of April. Mm -hmm. So if you can find that out, this and it, and I don't know why that is, but a lot of times the birds in our area will be acting exactly the same way. But there, I did have a year. It's been several years ago, probably late 80s, early 90s, where. Uh, the birds just weren't talking late day. I mean, early in the morning on the roost, they was talking. But if you didn't kill one right then, later on in the day, I mean, the bird just didn't seem to want to, didn't want to talk. It didn't want to gobble. And I talked to one guy and I said, well, wh what are you doing different? And he said, he said, I'm, I'm doing a fly down cackle right in the middle of the day. And I'm like, what? Yeah. He says, I'm, I'm cackling in the middle of the day. And he said, that's getting them to gobble. And I'm, I thought, well, all right, I, I tried. I didn't understand why or anything, but I went out the next day and, didn't kill nothing off a roost, and, and later on that morning, I thought, well, I felt kind of stupid, but I'm going to try it. But that's the whole deal is you got to learn, and you got to – the whole time you're hunting, I mean, you, you, you learn every day, whether mm -hmm. you're seeing sign or whether you're seeing turkeys or anything. But I cackled, and sure enough, a bird gobbled, and I moved in a little bit closer to him and sat down and started yelping, and he, he come right in. And he didn't do a lot of gobbling once he – you know, once I got him to gobble once. He didn't do a lot of gobbling, but sporadically he'd gobble at me, and – he ended up coming in and I ended up, and I ended up killing him. And later on, what I was finding out, we had uh, used to have some fighting chickens, and I didn't fight them, but I had some there at, at the house that I just let loose there at my house. And if you watch a chicken, a lot of times when they get up off their nest, they'll 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 actually uh, cackle real loud. And it, and uh, I noticed that rooster was was crowing. And uh, and I also seen a few hens do it over the years. It's not something I see a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But a, a hen that got off off the nest out in the CRP, all of a sudden you just hear a cackle, and, and we call that a ground cackle. She would cackle, and a bird would gobble, and that's why she did it, was to get him to gobble, to know where he's at, so she can go to him. But that can play in your favor, too. Uh, you know, you do that and get him to gobble, move in a little bit closer, and then just play some soft stuff to him, get him to come your direction. So. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the the background of that story, knowing about, like, a ground cackle and a hen getting up off the nest midday, like that's helpful because uh like like ha having people tell you about how they kill turkeys is one thing but understanding like the mechanisms going on behind uh like the methods to the madness or whatever like what the turkeys are actually doing which is what makes you do what you're doing uh basically i think that that's a lot more helpful than just going like here's what you need to do to go kill a turkey you know? oh yeah well there's so yeah. many different things you can do there and and understanding turkeys and the pecking order and stuff like that there's uh you know i always tell in my seminars if you can if you're hunting a certain area and you can figure out what stage those gobblers are in they have an early stage where uh right before our season like uh the first weekend of april is one it, it's just crazy i mean you can go from one spot and call a bird in go to the next spot and call a bird in and our season ain't even open but you, you can go to different spots and call, and I mean, the birds, they react so quick. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that all the gobblers at that point in time, usually, they all feel like they're the dominant birds, and they're yeah. just trying to get to the hens, you know, as quick as they can. But then as 
and this can all happen. I mean, in certain areas, it can all happen in one to two days where the gobblers end up, they all end up getting into fights and the pecking order gets straightened out. So you go out there one day and you have great hunts, you know, you go out to kill your bird. My gosh, there's birds, you know, gobblers coming from all different directions coming to you and you kill a bird and everything's fantastic. And three days later, you're taking a buddy. Oh, yeah, the birds, they're working great. Come on out. Three days later, you go out there and you got one bird gobbling on the whole place. And you're like, where'd all the other birds go? A lot of times they haven't gone anywhere. What happened was all the pecking order got straightened out. You got a dominant bird, and the bird that's gobbling is with 15 hens. You know, he's got a real good group of hens. So then that's where you end up with the hen up part of it is that gobbler's got the hens. So what ends up happening is you're calling to him, and none of the rest of these gobblers are coming to you because every time they go to a hen, they get met by this older gobbler, and he ends up whooping them. So a lot of times it's not your calling that's not working. Uh, it's just that that pecking order is straightened out mm -hmm. and a turkey will, I mean, I've seen gobblers run when you yelped at them because they're scared. Well, so, well, a question I have for you is when it comes to like early season in like different States. Now, do you, do you still travel quite a bit and hunt a bunch of different States? Or are you pretty much still in just Missouri? What's your, your seasons normally look like in the springtime? No, uh, right now I'm not sure about this year. Like last year I went, uh, I started off down in, well, I started off with our youth hunts. Yep. Uh, we have a youth hunt back home. Where we, we've got over 100 kids that come to this youth hunt. Oh, wow. We try to get kids that don't have the opportunity to get out and hunt. They don't have anybody to take them. They don't have a place to go. And we'll try to try to match them up with a guide. Mm -hmm. They always have to have a parent with them, too, or a guardian at least, and get them out there not so much to kill a turkey. I mean, yeah, we want them to try and kill a turkey, but – uh, have them experience that try to get them involved in hunting at least we want them to at least hear turkeys and hopefully to see a turkey you know mm -hmm. but it's a big deal i do a seminar and stuff and, and that's where my season to start out is with that youth hunt mm -hmm. and then i'll go from there last year we went to oklahoma woodhaven uh the woodhaven crew me and scott ellison and, and mark scroggins a bunch of us all went to wood uh went with woodhaven went down to oklahoma i started there and then i come back and hunt with my brother-in-law in uh, in kansas so I hunted there. Uh, I ended up missing our whole first week of the season, and I, but I did come back to Missouri and I hunted for probably about five days there in Missouri, I guess. And then I took off my wife and I. We went to Arizona and I dropped her off there and left her there for a whole week while I went to Mexico with Jay Scott Outdoors and we went down there and I got to hunt the ghouls turkey. Uh, that was that was a really fun time. The ghouls turkeys, they. I like in the Rios and the Merriams. Uh, they're not like the Easterns. I love hunting the Easterns because that's what I've hunted all my whole life. But I'm telling you right now, when you go out west and you hunt those other birds, they love to hear you call, and they love to hear you call yeah. loud, and I love it because they, they come running, you know, yeah. <laughs> especially them ghouls, man. And they're, I mean, they're a beautiful bird. All of them are beautiful, but mm -hmm. the ghouls, I mean, they're kind of special to you, to me anyways, mm -hmm. because uh, they love to hear me call. You know, and that's another thing we can bring up as far as the difference in uh, – you know, you got different species, but the Easterns and the Osceolas, uh, I will bring that up. The cutting that they do is a cutting like what we hear in the contest. We go out to the Rios, the Marians, or the Ghouls. Their cutting is different. They're clucks. They're more like a pip. I mean, they're, yeah. it's hard to explain. It's rear, very, very high-pitched. Uh, you go out to those states, you got to change up your calling just a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, I learned that when I was in Texas years ago with Woodhaven. We went out there probably back in 2005. And I kept hearing the hens, and when they was cutting, it was like, beep, 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 beep. so then I started mm. doing that when I went, and it was amazing. I could, it was, I was calling them in with my normal calling, even with my cutting. 
uh, we call birds them. But when I started hearing that, it was amazing. It was almost like somebody flipped a switch when you cut like they did and cluck like they did and made that little high pipping sound uh, with your clucking and your cutting. It just like somebody flipped a switch on them. I mean, it really turned them inside out and they would come run a little bit faster. So just if anybody goes out west, be sure and, and listen to those hens and what kind of sounds they make and get on YouTube and see it yeah. and uh, use that because it'll, it'll definitely go to your advantage. Well, the question I had was early season versus like late season in a mm -hmm. state. If, you, if you're in an area long enough like yourself where you can experience that, how much of a difference between early season birds and how they react and you know the you know the uh the pecking order uh how it, it might not even be you know set first late season when a lot of the hens are you know nesting or even maybe off nest depending on how late your season is um how that can affect the birds do you have any advice for anybody or what is your thoughts on like early season turkeys gobblers versus like late season gobblers and like especially like your home state is there much of a difference you see in between those two kind of time frames yeah there is uh what I've learned is early in the season, uh, a lot of times the birds, like we just talked about before, where the pecking order ain't quite straightened out. I mean, it's fantastic. Every bird wants to come running to that hen that's yelping, uh, and that's great. But once they get it straightened out, then you got the hen up gobbler, so then you have to change your tactics. And you might even try doing a gobbler yelp or, or even gobble at him to play on his jealousy side as uh, the hens start nesting. Uh, a lot of times when you go into a place that they're on the, the back end, you know, all the hens are nesting now and the gobblers get left alone. Uh, that's when you kill those big inch and a half spurred gobblers. I mean, you kill those dominant birds because they'll act like a two-year-old. Mm -hmm. They they don't have any hens anymore. So then when you start yelping at them, they'll, a lot of times they'll come running in there just like a two-year-old. You think this has got to be a two-year-old. I was hunting in Tennessee one time and we had a bird like that that we thought was uh I mean, I swore he was a two-year-old. I mean, evidently, he didn't have any hens with him, and he flew down, and, and he come in gobbling every step of the way, and I end up I end up shooting him, and my thought was he's a two-year-old. I get down there, and he's got a you know over an inch and a quarter spur on him. I'm like, that ain't no two-year-old. But what it amounted to was he just didn't have any hens with him. So mm -hmm. sometimes later is better. Uh, personally, I would rather go earlier, but – uh, later in the season is sometimes better, and especially if you want to kill that big, you know, that big bird, that bird with that inch and a half hook on him. Now, I got a question, and it kind of goes towards, like, the later season, like with hunting pressure, uh, especially if you're dealing with either public land or kind of a little more high-pressure private land, especially if you're on a lease with a bunch of other guys. You can't really control <laughs> what's going on. Um, is there – any tactics that you can kind of relate with on like high pressure birds, uh, especially ones that just don't want to gobble a whole bunch, you know, they're very call shy, you know, they might gobble on the roost a second hit the ground. And a lot of times from our personal experiences, they want to be quiet. They want to shut up and you have a lot of birds that come in quiet situations like that. Since you are much more of a caller, you know, you want to call you, you like calling towards birds. Is there anything that you can do or you can explain to us to kind of help people, kill some of those birds that are more call either call shy or more pressured birds and kind of go in there and kill them uh, i don't know if you've had a lot of experience with that in the past but i know that's something that we've ran into is again trying to kill pressured birds that whether they've been highly educated by a lot of guys you know shooting at them missing at them whatever because it happens all the time especially on public land but to try to seal the deal on those birds that you know second they hit the ground they want to shut up whether they get hens or sometimes even not so yeah i uh I went out to Mark Twain Lake several years ago when I was hunting, and I, what I did learn, and I didn't quite understand right at the time why it was working that way, but I would hear a bird, I'd yelp real loud and cut at him and, and, and hear a gobble, and then I'd go to it. 
and then when I'd get set down, uh, I'd yelp at him again fairly loud, trying to get him to gobble again, mm -hmm. and he would shut up. And I'm like, what in the world? And this happened to me and all that morning, actually. Uh, what I end up doing is I'd get to yelping loud, and right back over where I came from, a gobbler, a gobbler would gobble. And I'd get up, and I'd move over there, and I'd start yelping and trying to get him to gobble, and he wouldn't gobble. And then while I was trying to get that right back where I came from again, a bird would gobble. And I'm like, what in the, why are they, I, I couldn't understand what was going on. And finally, the next time when I moved, like there like four or five times of doing this with different birds, uh, I finally moved in. And what I did is I, I didn't call loud. I just got in and I, I set up and I, and I started real soft. And that's why I always stress the soft calling. On that public ground, I believe what's going on is people are out there and they're yelping real loud. Well, every time they gobble, a hunter comes to them. So if a, if a bird, if they hear a bird go, uh, yelp real loud, they would actually shut down. They just, they'd stand there and wouldn't say nothing. It was kind of like they were just waiting to see what was going to happen. I was in uh, West Virginia one time hunting and I heard a bird gobbling, like, a, like we were just talking. He just gobbling on his own. Mm -hmm. And I moved in on him. And when I moved in on him, I, I didn't yelp real loud. I yelped real soft. And I, he didn't, he gobbled at me right at first and then he shut up. And I waited there for probably 30 minutes and just yelping real soft, purring and clucking and nothing, nothing. And finally, I, I stood up and started slipping in there. Never did see that gobbler. And I thought, well, what in the world happened to him? I mean, as much as he was gobbling, he should have came into me. Uh, a buddy of mine said, I'm going I'm to go up there because I told him about that bird. And he mm -hmm. said, I'm going to go up there and hunt him. He said, I know how to kill him. I said, well, you go after him. I said, evidently, he don't like what I'm doing. So he went up there and he didn't make a call. And that was his plan. He was going to go up there and he was going to set. He said, that bird would be in that strut zone. And that's what we were talking about earlier, strut zones. He said, I'm just going to set there. I'm not calling at all. And uh, finally, he said, that bird showed up, but he was too far out. He's like 75, 80 yards out. And he was just waiting for him to possibly work his way. He said, I'm sitting there and that bird's gobbling and gobbling and strutting. And he said, he ain't moving. He's gobbling and strutting. He said, all of a sudden, a hen, and this is a live hen, back off up to his left up the holler, starts coming down towards that gobbler and she starts yelping and cutting as she's coming to him he said that he watched that gobbler drop strut and take off running and ran completely off of that ridge and uh, he said i went after him and as he's going after him he was yelping and cutting at him and uh, and he kept following the bird and he never did catch up with that bird and hmm. the next the next day i went out uh i went out and i'm walking and calling and and uh I was on a different ridge, and I don't think this—I don't think this was the same bird. But that's what happened with that bird. That he actually—he actually would run, and that was an actual hen. He seen the hen come in there after that gobbler took off, and then he got up and went after him. But the next day, I went back there, and I don't—it might have been the same bird, but I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I was walking and calling, and uh, and I had a bird actually—we kind of run in head on right on a corner, and I ended up killing him. But let's uh, do that in there. And there's so many different things, different birds in that area that maybe he'd been beat up so many times that he just took off. But, yeah, the softer the better a lot of times. You get in there and the softer the better, I think. I want to try that much more this year and, and trying to have more patience because I feel like – I said that last year and I didn't stick with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be Don't honest. we all? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be so patient because, like, we had enough, we've had enough guys on, like, just turkey killers – and it, patience is always a big pack, uh, factor for, like, public land birds and stuff. It's like, you know, just, you know, don't always overcall. Have patience, soft calling. And it's like I say I'm going to do it, 
and it doesn't happen. But I've, I feel like if I can do it, I can start killing more birds, like for real. Like that that could be the actual ticket. Because I've had situations where a bird gets quiet, you know, stop calling, nothing's happening, and you don't have the patience to sit there for 30 minutes or an hour, whatever it could be. You stand up, and the bird's right there. It's right over the side of the hill, like you said, like getting in a place where you don't have the advantage to kind of see. And, you know, you blow a bird out, and you're like, he was coming. He was just being quiet, kind of just kind of easing through. Um, and some of the best turkey killers I know from, like, Central Alabama hunting public land, one of them, I almost call him, like, he bushwhacks turkeys. Or he's, like, your buddy where, like, he goes, he finds a place that he knows there's a bird at. He'll locate it, like, the day before or that morning. He'll hear a bird on the roost. He'll go back close to where that bird was roosted, set up on the ground, do a ton of soft callings, but literally sit there all day and kill that bird on high-pressure public Are you talking land. about Jared? Yeah. Yeah, he just goes in there and lives with them all day and until he kills them. And it's it's crazy. Well, that guy's got unbelievable patience. Like, oh my gosh, you know, yeah. so much more than what I would have to be able to do that. But he kills a ton of birds on a high pressure public public piece. Um, and I think birded out last year, and me birded out last year doing it. Yep, five before birds. April. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just like crazy because you see like guys like not like us, but other guys that we know that are you know successful turkey hunters. They go out there and you know kind of struggle in some of those places. But his very patient uh way of mind soft calling very subtle style like low impact hunting kills birds where a lot of guys you know i love running gunning i love it when they're you know, they're hammering on the roost and you're like all right, all right this one shut up we're going after this one now we yeah. run you know <laughs> half a mile to a mile over there it's awesome oh, yeah. uh but yeah i feel like you know some of the best turkey killers i know on public land are like guys like what you were just talking about like subtle calling uh, doing the subtle things to make that happen to have the patience to kill them that makes so. all the difference in the world when you get on when you get on like you said not just public ground but any kind yeah. of high pressure and a lot of times just because the gobblers aren't gobbling doesn't mean they're not there and it may not be gobbling because uh, every time they do gobble a coyote or a bobcat or something like that's coming in on them and a lot of people think that people have been in there calling before the season i go uh, a lot before the season and i, I mess with birds i just went out i've been going out now in february mm -hmm. and i'll go out and mess around with birds and and uh that's how i feel like i learned but but to call that bird in it doesn't hurt that bird providing that you are hid and you're not jumping up and scaring him and educating him and all that uh, so many times a bird had come in to my call and a lot of times they just walk right on by me and, and a lot of times you've actually called in other turkeys maybe from a different direction and those, and i've watched them get together so at that point right then guaranteed i haven't hurt i haven't hurt anything now, i hate it when a bird walks in and it does happen occasionally but not very often where you get a bird to come in and they actually spot you and they take off if you're uh and if he's not if you're not sitting there calling and he's looking right at you i don't believe you've actually educated him because uh, the running and gunning like we was talking about, running a box call, you go down uh, you go down a ridge and you're yelping and all of a sudden you look over and there's a gobbler standing there. Well, he's run up on you and you're sitting there running that, running that box call. Yeah, he's putting two and two together, probably wondering well, why is he making that sound, you know. Yep. Uh, it may make him a little bit leery the next time that he hears a hen yelp. Mm -hmm. He might be gobbling and standing. He might be the one that's standing in that one spot. Then, no, you're coming down here. <laughs> I want to see how big old boy you are anyhow. <laughs> so I got one more question, um, kind of a random one. When you bump a turkey, do you ever go after that turkey, continue to pursue that, that single turkey? I have, yeah. Uh, actually, I can tell you a couple of different stories. Years ago, um, I was going to uh, – it was Sunday morning, and I had, I had gone out and hunted 
and I thought, well, I'm just going to hunt an hour and a half or so, and I'll get back. I'll get ready to go to church and with the family, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, I got home, and I had beagle dogs back in. I used to run beagle dogs. I loved rabbit hunting. And uh, I was out there messing with my dog, and all of a sudden, I hear I hear a bird gobble on our on our own farm, you know. And I'm like, because I wasn't hunting my farm uh, that day. Mm-hmm. I heard a bird gobble back there. Man, I come running back in the house, grab my shotgun, and they're like, where are you going? I was like, I just heard the bird gobble. Don't worry, this won't take long. He's gobbling his head off. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get back there, and uh, when I get back where I last heard him at, I get back there, and I yelp and cut real loud, and boom, he gobbles. And I know right where he's at. I know, of course, this is my farm. I know where I'm at. Well, I don't want to go right at him. So I kind of make a little circle and come around him. And I get back there, and I get set out, and I, I soften up. I start soft yelping at him. Nothing, nothing, nothing on my man, where'd he go? So I yelp at him real loud. I yelp and I cut real loud. Bam, he gobbles. That bird had, in my time of walking around there, he was so excited. He had already cut that distance off. He'd already went over right where I'd yelped at the last time. So he's over there. And I heard him gobble, and I'm like, dang it. So I thought, I'm heading right straight at him. So I take off, and I'm, I think, I'm going to cut the distance in half. So while I'm trying to cut the distance in half, He's doing the same. He must have been running right at me, and all of a sudden we bump into each other, and I don't get a shot. He just flies off, and I'm like, ah, oh, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I thought, well, i got to go to church. So I, I take off, and, I, and just about time I top the hill and I look down, there goes that car down over the hill, and I'm like, well, they've already gone to church. <laughs> I, I'm going back here and try to kill this turkey. So. <laughs> uh, and I'm not trying to put I, – I, that's a whole different story there. That's part of my testimony there about how uh, obsessed I got I, – I, I can get with hunting and how mm-hmm. obsessed I did get with hunting back in. But mm-hmm. anyways, I go back, and I, and I had a pretty good idea where this bird probably would be hanging out at, and I slipped back there, and I thought, I'm going to change my calls. I'd been using my mouth call. I put my mouth calls – uh, pretty well put them up and I grabbed out a, a box call. Mm-hmm. So I start, I start yelping on this box call and all of a sudden, bam, one gobbles and he's not gobbling as loud as he was before. He just got bumped. I mean, this was like 20 minutes later and, uh, but he still gobbled. He kind of soft gobbles and that, I mean, turkeys do that. They've, they've got a soft gobble. They got a, I mean, they've got a booming gobble where they really give it all they got. And, uh, and this bird, here he comes. He comes strutting, and he's just a two-year-old, but he comes strutting all the way in there. I end up killing that turkey. So mm-hmm. I don't uh, don't give up. I had I had another friend of mine call me one time, and he said, hey, we got – and I knew this farm because we both hunted the same farm. I got a buddy. We're trying to kill this bird, and we can't get him killed. He said – and he t- I said, where is he roosting at? And he told me it's clear on the, on the west end of this place. And all this place is, there's some CRP ground up on the top, and, and there's crop fields down uh, on the other side of this creek. And, of course, there's a creek runs right down through the middle of it. But on the west end of it, up by the C- some of the CRP, that bird's been roosting up there. He said, roost there every day. And I said, all right. And I said, I'll go with you in the morning. So we went up there that next morning. And he pulls the truck all the way up on top of the hill, and the headlights are shining right down on this creek. And I'm like, why? And I said, why did you do that? I said, I would have, you know, parked, you know, parked, and then we walked over top of the hill. And uh, But anyway, that was a whole different deal there. We ended up going down. We crossed the creek. And we, because there was a crossing there, and we start heading towards the west. And I said, we'll stop. I said, let's see if we can get him to gobble before we go all the way over there. And we, I finally started hooting at him. And uh, finally he gobbles, and he's behind us. And he is roosted right where we crossed the creek to get back in there where we was wanting to go. The bird's roosted right there. We walked within 10 yards of this turkey's tree. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And we didn't bust him out. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know exactly where he was at at that time. I just heard him gobbling. I knew he was right there in that area. So we... 
we had a little ditch there we had to cross back over and I thought that bird's got he's right here close so I, I went to stick out a decoy we had a decoy because that's real open ground in there and in the field I like to use a decoy in the timber I rarely do but I went out there to stick a decoy and I'm on my knees I'm getting ready to poke it in and I look up and there he is sitting there I mean I'm looking at him he's 40 yards and I'm like oh boy and uh, <laughs> he knew a turkey knows when you look at him that turkey he flew out of there and he's gone I'm like He's gone, guys. I said, I don't know what to tell you, but I said, he didn't roost in the same spot. And we're standing there talking, and all of a sudden, I hear these hens up his little draw. Uh, he, the hens weren't roosted right with a the gobbler. They was up his little draw about 150 yards. And I said, come on. And I said, what are you doing? I said, come on. They said, we need to go somewhere else. I'm like, no, let's try this. I went up, and I flushed all of his hens out towards the west, away from where he had flew to. I flushed them all out, and I set up a decoy, and we got set down right there where his hens had been roosting at. And I started calling within 15 minutes, that bird's gobbling. He gets to gobbling, and then he, he walks right back down to that creek crossing, right where he roosted at. He walks right past that and starts coming up, and he gets to about 30, 35 yards, and his head's poked up in the air, and I could tell him, like, he can't see us. I don't know what he's, he acts like he's getting leery, and he's plenty close enough shooting. Finally, I told David, I said, kill him. So he shoots him, and I run out there to the bird, and there was a coyote. I mean, anything could have gone wrong when this hunt was going wrong, and it all came together, and he ended up killing the turkey. So he kills that bird, and I get up there, and then I see a coyote, and I thought that's what he was looking at. He kept poking his head up, and he was watching that coyote, make sure he wasn't coming after him. So we end up killing that bird. So don't give up. I mean, there's, even if you spook him, I mean, depend, I guess it all depends. I mean, you may, may not see that bird the rest of the day, but mm-hmm. uh, then again, uh, I wouldn't give up because there's – get in the right situation you can get him to come back to you and end up getting hard they're not any different than uh, fall turkey hunting mm-hmm. turkeys are still turkeys and they still want to regroup so when you go out in the fall and you bust up a bunch of birds and then you, you start calling them back in uh spring ain't much different if you got a hen with gobblers a lot of times you can go in and you can bust all them hens and gobblers up uh get them to go different directions yeah and, but you got this is the thing you gotta you gotta know what birds you're hunting you gotta figure out where that gobbler went to if that gobbler, you see him fly off by himself, try to close that distance up a little bit and be the first hen that he hears start talking, and a lot of times you'll be able to get that bird. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of different things you can try and different things you can do to, to try to make it all come together. Yeah, I'm curious about that because every year, I've done, I, like, I guess I've been turkey hunting hard for like five years or something now, and every year I bump turkeys. And one thing I've noticed over the years is that it's not hard to figure out where they go because, in my experience at least, they usually fly in a straight line. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to walk towards them, and I'll get over there, and I'll bump them again. And they'll fly in a straight line a- away from me again. And I'm like, what can I do to just, like, kill these things after I bump them? Because uh, once you've found them, it's like you know where they are. You know, I just I just need to do a better job of staying on them. Um, but, oh, man, you just mentioned something, and it just left my mind. I can't remember now. Uh, Busting up flocks. Busting up. Oh, yeah. I had that happen to me last year on public land where I had a this turkey, and I, I was finding sign in this area for days at a time, and I'd been in this area for like three days, and I kept finding scratching and crap everywhere, but I couldn't find the turkeys. And then finally, one day I bump into them. There's like a little spur ridge that comes out, and I'm like walking around the edge of it, and they're walking around this edge, and I bump into them at like 20 yards. And it was a gobbler and nine hens, and they scatter out everywhere. And I can see them. I, like, hit the deck, and I get up against this tree, and there's, like, a hen here, a hen there, a hen here, and the gobbler's way off by himself. And I'm, like, sitting there not knowing what to do. 
And then the gobbler pitches down and hits the ground and gobbles one time, and then all the hens pitch down and go right to him. Yeah. And they leave, and I never see him again. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was pretty interesting just how fast they grouped back up. And it was real cool watching how the hens reacted to him gobbling after they got busted up. Because uh, you could, I could see three or four different hens, and they're all, like, looking around not knowing what to do. And then, man, when he gobbled, it's like all of them instantly. We're just like, okay, we're coming with you. So, yeah, that, that's about all I got. You got anything, Jacob? No, I was going to say, uh, Billy's been great speaking with you on some of this stuff. We'll definitely have to have you back on uh, for a strut report for sure as you kind of travel around. What states are you going to this year if you have anything planned out so far? Uh, nothing in stone. Uh, probably Oklahoma, Oklahoma or Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a call from a friend of mine out in California. He's wanting me to come out there. They said He said, I've got plenty of birds. and uh jay's invited me back to mexico uh, i'd love to go there again i told him i'm not sure if i can make it work uh, i've got another friend in michigan so i'm i'm, I'm up in the air right now i'm planning on going somewhere i'm just not real sure on where it just depends on what the schedule because i i still work at titan wheel international uh as a supervisor over a paint shop so i've only got 20 more days of, of vacation that i can use just for turkey hunting uh, but I'm going to use every drop of it is what I'm going to do. <laughs> i got to get my schedule all lined out to where i got to figure out what Woodhaven's wanting to do as far as dates, and mm-hmm. then I can try to get uh, maybe the California hunt planned out and then for my late my late hunt go north, uh, mm-hmm. maybe to hunt with Jason uh, Jason Allen up there in Michigan if I, can, if I can make that happen. Of course, I want to try and get back and hunt Missouri. I only got to hunt Missouri about, I don't know, probably – four or five days last year yeah. uh but i definitely want to get back on my home state i'd like to do that uh a little bit of the first week and then the second week so awesome well uh the only other thing i have is uh billy what what what's that piece of advice that you would give to us and all of our listeners to really just help them out this spring i mean is there one thing that you can think of that could be impactful for somebody if they were listening right now to maybe implement for this spring or maybe learn from just lessons you've learned throughout the years of turkey hunting yeah i mean the big thing i always tell everybody in my seminar is you have to use uh you have to use woodhaven custom calls mossy oak camo and apex ammunition <laughs> and that's a big one <laughs> <laughs> you the other, yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the other thing is uh yeah yeah that, that that helps for sure but the other thing is uh get out and do your scouting yeah. if you're going somewhere out of state uh someplace you've never been before if you can find somebody in that area uh, maybe a buddy or a farmer or somebody that's been seeing the birds out in the field, uh, find out what time they've been seeing them and stuff. Uh, that's that's all part of scouting too, is is scout your areas. And don't get, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just as bad as anybody. I like to go out there and I like to yelp and cut and try to get a bird to gobble. And, uh, and I'll do that first off. If that doesn't work, don't get discouraged. Go in there. If you're finding sign, the birds are there. So go in and maybe try some blind calling, mm-hmm. do some just some real soft yelps. And, and try to get him interested and remember to make him come looking for you if he comes in there and he knows you should be right there a lot of times birds are going to hang up and you're going to wind up scratching and leaves and purring and clucking and watch him inch his way into you or maybe just turn around and walk away so. yeah. <laughs> yeah awesome well billy we appreciate you coming on and good luck this spring okay uh, thank you good luck to you guys
All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.